Hello, everyone. Welcome to a special episode of Yo, What the Hell? This is normally a show where two friends talk about stuff that is interesting. My name is Bravo, and I'm joined by my co-host. My name is Whiskey. And we have Mr. Producer Man himself, uh, Toasty Producer. I'm here today. Hot. And uh, today's theme is Bravo Does Homework. This is a project mm-hmm. that could have been an essay, but I decided to do something different because why not and uh what we're going to be doing today is talking a bit about the weirdest people in the world uh which is a book by joseph heinrich uh, and then i'm going to be getting my takes on alexi de tocqueville ayn rand uh what um, you know other countries think of americans uh, and then going to be talking about uh, the hero worship of the military via the band Propagandi and some Gundam, which I think is the best, uh, you know, mashup, if you will. You could do a whole lot worse. So let's get into uh, the weirdest people. So first off, we're going to be talking about culture. Uh, it's, you know, kind of a nebulous thing. Uh, culture is fluid. That's something that humans can adapt to. I can move to a different country and assimilate into their culture. Uh, in the book, uh, the author, he mentions uh, this Australian man who was escaping from the law, and he ends up being lost, you know, unconscious in the you know, bush in Australia, and uh, he gets rescued by these aborigines, uh, and he assimilates into their culture. Um, you know, they teach him the language and all that, and he learns and is there for years. And then he, you know, decides to go back home. Uh, I am uh, not doing it its full justice, but you know, hey, uh, you know, while our culture shapes us, it doesn't define us. We have this ability to evolve and not be pigeonholed into one category. You know, we've just come so far in the evolutionary process. It's just not fair to stop that growth right you know now and you know what i mean by that is that we are chameleon-esque we have the ability to adapt no matter what that's what makes us human uh the ability to morph and coexist in a society that we know nothing about uh then we can adapt into it and learn enough to be accepted and uh, i want to bring up this youtube channel that i like uh, chinese cooking demystified he's an american citizen living in china running a youtube channel all about the traditional food of china with his chinese girlfriend and he like speaks mandarin speaks cantonese speaks english he whenever the uh coronavirus first popped off he went to a wet market and showed you know the culture of what it actually is as opposed to the fear-mongering that we got on the western side of the world where they were just like oh there's all these live animals in cages and they cut them up right there Uh, it's definitely you know not the truth. Uh, as I mentioned, we can adapt into a culture that's around us. We can make it our own. As I mentioned, expats, they move out of their home country, and they go and they move elsewhere, and they begin to make the best of their new cultures. This can be either a temporary or something more permanent thing. Uh, culture, again, it's fluid. can be adapted into something else. It's molded by all of our experiences that we share as a society. 
looking at 9-11, that became our identity. The American flag pretty much became our culture. Um, uh, I want to mention, like, the Dixie Chicks. They were railroaded out of the industry uh, due to their opposition to the war in Iraq. I mean, they said they were ashamed that Bush was from Texas. Like, they said they were ashamed that Bush was from Texas. And this is just a well-respected band that voiced their opposition to the fledgling war in Iraq. And that backfired on them so hard that it became, like, the idea that if you're not patriotic, then you are against, like, our culture, our way of life. Like, that is just... I feel like the beginning of the, the nationalistic uprising forming in America. You know, we rightfully critique the Nazis for wrapping themselves up in their you know, flag of Germany. But yet, you know, here we are putting American flags on everything, you know, calling them freedom fries. Like, that's just ridiculous. You know, again, after 9-11, the whole freedom fries thing, this was in response to the fact that the French did not support us in the war. This is America's oldest ally, like, we would still be under British rule if it wasn't for the French, I feel like. And it just shows how fickle we can be to one of our oldest allies. It's like, oh, you don't support us? Well, we're going to insult you. This all just, you know, ties into American exceptionalism, I feel like. Uh, we think we're the best in the world. We constantly talk about how America is number one compared to the rest of the world, yet we are viewed as conceited and brash. Uh, you know, I feel like we aren't better than others for being weird. We still have the same pitfalls that other societies have. We just fixate on other goals and ways to identify as a group. There is something to be said about living in a society that incorporates all the members. The tribal bands had something right. You know, yeah, the separation of households leads to less inbreeding and infighting. Uh, if there's a difference between members, the chief, or someone in power to delegate actions that can either be totally impartial or just insanely corrupt. Uh, Western societies, we think we can have, we're, we think we have it better than most, but we're just arrogant. We aren't better. We have infighting almost constantly. I mean, look at our politics. You have people on the right who are just diehard, you know, just crazy right wing people. And then you have the more moderates. And this same can be said on, you know, the other end of the spectrum. Like, it's just, you know, how is it no different than, you know, a tribe fighting over what? direction to go thoughts you two um uh, mr whiskey would you like to go first or um well my biggest like thing is that your 90 well one my first thing is that um you discuss people like expats and whatnot and i've always thought that's just like an overly inflated term that um, Englishmen and rich Americans like to use to say immigrant, but not sound like they are running away from something. Yeah, I think I have, there are some kind of, so there are some surface level problems I have with this. I, well, I mean, I guess it depends on your view of what a surface level problem is when it comes to like racial things. Cause like, li like listening to this, I mean, I'm all, I'm all for it. Like I definitely agree with a lot of with what a lot has been said, it's just that as a person of color, especially from a couple of uh, minorities that are very like they're pretty prominent in white American culture as much as we are our own subculture of American culture. But like, 
I think that, you know, if this person that you're reading about was maybe a little bit more pragmatic about Western culture, I think I think it's a, a problem that modern, especially Anglo-Americans, seem to have with, with, with your guys' own culture or maybe even lack thereof, if you want to get into that conversation, is that, like, y'all, I mean, it's actually kind of pretty good, like, like the part where where you were saying that you know we're kind of that Western society is kind of arrogant and but and like you know in comparison to like what I mean I, I'm half Vietnamese my uh, my family in Vietnam they don't think that I'm arrogant or that that we're like fat and stupid over here they're like jealous and envious of my family who lives here they they want us to come and see them just so we can give them money. I mean, we're not living large here, but they think that everybody in America is rich. And they live in a country that's doing better on the coronavirus than we are. And and so it's like, you know, I think that more if if we looked at the lens of it's not more like what is western culture, you know, versus any other persons or far eastern culture or southeastern culture what have you. I think it's more like what if you were if we looked at it more on a pragmatic lens, like what's good about this and what can be what what can you use about your own culture to improve it and make it better? I think would would maybe make things better for Western culture. I mean, because like I mean, because there are different types of Western culture. Like I would much rather live here in America than the boring dystopia that is British, like like <laughs> British, British life. Like oh yeah. <laughs> It's a nightmare. I mean, I would much rather have this than that. So, I mean, I think that we just need to take take the the negative colored lenses off as Westerners and put on some, put on a little bit something that's a little bit more pragmatic and just kind of improve upon what we have instead of saying let's cut that, let's cut that. I mean, because no offense, us Westerners, no, well, us people of color, Westerners included. Um, Sometimes canceling something causes an uproar real quick if you, like, instead of improving on it. Oh, yeah. No, I definitely agree. I mean, I feel like there's, you know, good and bad, as you say. Like, Well, that's, like, a really good point, too, like, about of of color perspective. I didn't even think about that. But, like, in some ways, um, as... A very very white man and looking at the news and reading about like what happens to folks of color and minorities in like france which i would say is like the other great republic um compared to america like the french feel like terrible on race half the time like in ways that we just don't do which is like really weird to say because we're awful 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 but, like, I don't know. I just feel like maybe, maybe that sometimes we're somehow, even in our awfulness, a little bit better. I, I don't know. But, like, do either of you have any, like, thought process on, like, is that, like, some weird benefit that we have or don't have as cultural? And how does, like, that transmit when you go somewhere that's another one of these, like, Western nations, like, just handle things so strange and different. <laughs> I think, um, I think the difference between American uh, America and other Western nations is that we're actually really good at, regardless of whether or not the offending part of the culture means it, we're really good at apologizing. Yeah. Like, I think about it. My my whole culture has a whole month because y'all was sorry. I mean, should have a lot more. <laughs> 
<laughs> because the, the whole of white people in America was sorry. We got a whole ass month dedicated to us. I'm not saying that that's acceptable. Like, I mean, there, that's a whole nother can of worms. But that's the length oh, yeah. that the culture is willing to go to to apologize. The Charlie Hebdo thing, they don't care about that. They'd do it again if it meant that nobody would get hurt this time. Like, I think that's the difference between us and other Western cultures, that we have it a little bit better that, you know, I think that in, in all the, you know, weird stereotypical arrogance and loudness that Americans get, we're a lot more compassionate, I think, when it comes to other cultures. I mean, if you really think hard about it, I mean, sure, these European nations let people stay there, uh, unwillingly, unwillingly so sometimes, but, you know, they don't treat them well. They don't. They don't even try to help them. They're just like, "Well, you got here. Congratulations." <laughs> I yeah, that, that sounds about right. Especially, gosh, that makes me think of those like camps that are um, camped around the French side of the channel, where the French just like ignore them, and the English just stand there at the channel with like just guards, being like, "Nope, you guys can just stay there. We're all gonna know that you're there. We all know you don't be- don't belong there." Quote unquote. And we're all just going to look at you and be like, oh, isn't that jolly good? Huh, not getting through, pal. Yeah, and I feel like as, like, Americans, like, we almost kind of don't have our own culture. We've, like, we've adopted (laughs) so much from, like, other people, I feel like. But, I mean... That's just me somewhat. I mean, white people especially. I guess. Yeah, actually, the, it's funny that you mentioned that. My husband and I a long time ago had that conversation. And I think it's kind of more specifically white American. Y'all may or may not. But whether or not y'all have your own culture, per se, is kind of up in the air. At least that's how he felt about it. I mean, I thought it was kind of weird, too, because, like, what do y'all do that everybody that every other non-white American doesn't do? But there are a million things that white Americans don't or refrain from doing that we do, you know? Exactly. And, you know, it's a perfect segue into my second takeaway. Uh, you know, there's just traits that we as a species have learned to adapt to. The avoidance of taboos and not wanting to be ostracized by a group that we fit into. Uh, there are, you know... Beneficial group traits, food sharing means that nobody's going hungry, bedtime stories help shape the imagination of young children and leads them to having a better imagination. Uh, These are all positives that can help the group that continue to stay alive and function as a whole. Uh, If such measures were not in place, then there'd be rampant starvation, disease, deaths. Uh, And we've also just established, or excuse me, uh, we've also inherited so many aspects of our culture from previous generations uh, the way we dress talk our mannerisms as well uh, if there was a traumatic event in the lives of one of our ancestors it, it can be ingrained in us and manifest itself in some way or fashion uh, lessons are learned from our ancestors we know what food is good and won't cause us harm because it's alert behavior you know if you see someone died after eating something poisonous just like oh well guess we you know as a people need to collectively avoid that if we didn't have that knowledge then people would die going to the grocery store because there's no warning on those tomato looking things that you know they aren't poisonous mm-hmm. uh, there's there's a reason humans yep. have evolved uh the betterment of the species 
We took lessons from our ancestors and used them to advance to the modern age. Uh, people from the same neighborhood also have different forms and ideas of culture. Uh, I'm willing to bet that, you know, you guys have differing views on culture than me, obviously. Uh, you know, we're all friends. We've been so for over a decade. But, you know, your guys' idea of culture is probably vastly different, you know, than mine. Uh, we are products of our environment, you know, just comparing, you know, the households we grew up in as kids. Is, that's the most basic comparison. You know, the values we're taught as children shape us as adults. We all share the same traits. Uh, it's why we've been friends for so long, obviously. Uh, you know, it's like if we didn't have the same moral compass, you know, like we obviously i don't think you know we would have been friends yeah like um, I, I mean especially since i'm like younger than you guys like i i remember like when i first met you guys when i was like a freshman i mean i i had like my friends i mean because we all know um our other friends from back then but it's like i always kind of gravitated to you guys like especially like you and whiskey because Whiskey and I used to talk about the weird stuff both of our military parents would do in the house, or the Some things weird. they would make us do. Yeah, the the let's get up at a weird time. Yeah, no, and like like being as someone who wasn't in a military household like whatsoever, like yeah, my grandpa served, but I didn't live with my grandpa. Like you guys both had people who directly served in the military and. I definitely did not have that experience. Yeah, which is, I don't know, it's, it's really interesting. Like, I think he's having technical problems, but, um, <laughs> Mr. Toast. But, like, I know, like, my old man spent his whole career in the military, got out of the military, then went back as a regular dude and worked for the government. So it's, like, all government, all the time. <laughs> exactly, and, like, my family, like, straight-up civilian. We had no, you know, ties to it whatsoever other than my dad's dad serving in World War II. Like, I didn't have that direct link like you guys did. I mean, that's also, like, kind of what I mean by, like, the difference that we each have, you know, in our own culture. It's like, I don't have that, you know, military angle that you guys have. And I'm sure that's shaped both of you in some regards, like, vastly different than me. I mean... That's just how I see it. Well, that's that's like one of the big reasons I'm I'm a like a like very far left like like almost the end of the spectrum because like I, the way I see it like the even as no right wingers want to like rape or drape it around them and be like oh the military's our baby it's like man that was like in the communist manifesto the idea of establishing a military as opposed to having <laughs> just a like armies that you hire out. Yeah, it was actually kind of the opposite for me. I think I became more left because of my because of my white friends, actually, because I come from a conservative black home. Um, my dad is not pro-military um, because they kind of did him dirty with the GI Bill and stuff like that because he retired from the military in the 90s. And I guess. They, uh, they, I guess things just weren't so hot back then. He didn't, he never really explained it, but they kind of did him dirty that way. And so he, he told me if I ever, because my family's mil is military as well, and he would be like, if you're going to join the military, go to captain school. Like I know that a lot of uh, you know enlisted men don't respect young men who get out of ROTC and become captains, but 
he would have rather me have done that than try to scratch my way up from like an E5 as an enlisted man, you know, because he's like, it's not worth it. You don't get any benefits. They treat you like dirt. And, and so I was like, why? And, and then my the rest of my family is just really conservative, like religiously. And so we never talked about politics because if my family, if someone in the family was left leaning, we couldn't talk about it because of, of the religion got, getting in the way. And so, like, all of my, my white friends who are very politically minded taught me about politics, actually, because I was, I was very much a political virgin probably until I was, like, a sophomore in high school. Well, like, that, that seems like a pretty healthy way, though. Like, I, I think I would say something similar on the, like, you know, politically agnostic until about, oh, somewhere in the end of high school where it's like, oh, yeah, this thing is more important than it should be. I guess I'll pay attention to it. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. You you say you have conservative black people. I just have like white dirt people. Like, <laughs> and white dirt people just have like weird hodgepodge of opinions of, you know, and somehow like I don't feel like they like embraced being actually conservative until Donnie T started running around saying nasty things too. And they were like, oh, yes. Let's go with the that guy. Yeah. It's like, yeah. I think that. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Oh, that's fine. I was just going to say that's, like, the exact opposite of my household, um, <laughs> which, like, I was raised, like, disgustingly liberal. Like, whenever it became the chance to register to, you know, to for, like, the party, I asked my dad, uh, and, and he claims that he was joking uh, to this day. But I asked him, I was like, you know, what would happen if I registered as a Republican? He's like, well, you'd have to find another place to live. And it's just like, <laughs> like... I have gay cousin, you know, all that. And it's like, if it would have been like the end of the world, if like I turned out like homophobic and, you know, hatred, because that's just like not how my family was raised. And it's like looking at other people and growing up in Oklahoma, like that's not how it is. Like you are raised like conservative Jesus guns, Trump, you know, or Reagan, because Trump wasn't around that at that time. Well, you're, you're like a real, like, old-school Normanite, too. So, like, old-school Normanites yeah. don't exist much anymore. Like, they've been, like, priced out, and, like, all these fucking Texans keep... Oh, I'm not supposed to say... All of these Texans keep coming here and staying <laughs> here after school. And they're buying up all these nasty homes on the north side and, like, west side of Norman that used to be farmed. Yeah, and so, my like, dad hates it there now. Like, um... I actually I can remember too. He's like when I got was starting to get older, and also after Obama got into office, because my my father's registered independent, um, <laughs> but the rest of the family got on the Obama train after after he got elected. But uh, my dad used to one time he told me he's like, you know what, son, I remember when there used to be more people of color in Norman. It's like remember all your little black friends, and I was like, yeah, I was like, well, they all moved away. I I was like, wow, that I really never thought you cared about that kind of thing. Like I didn't, like I didn't realize that gentrification was happening in my own home. <laughs> you know, it, it, yeah. it's ridiculous. And no, it, it is. It's nuts. Like, it's poor. Like all the poor people in town are like kicked out to Noble now, or like <laughs> we all the weird, awful apartments. Yeah, and like as someone who doesn't live in Norman anymore, like whenever I come back and visit, like it makes me sad because it's just like, oh, this is not the town that I, you know, still know it as, like, 
Yeah. Well, I mean, it's like, um, it, it's diverse for Oklahoma. Like, <laughs> I don't know, man. I'm going to be honest with you. I've lived here in Tulsa now, 200, 210 miles to the northeast. And, bro, bro, let me just tell you, Norman is, uh, pardon the turn of phrase, um, Professor, um, white, very, it's very white. It's noticeably white. Um, it's, it's, it is so undiverse. It is the bleach in the washing machine that is like the metropolitan area of Oklahoma City, like in comparison to other places. Like it's so white there now. I, it, that's what makes me sad. I, cause it's, it's very diverse where I live, but every time I go to Norman, it's like I don't see a, I don't see a person of color that is not a student. That's fair. And like, yeah, I mean, I also haven't lived there for four years, so I could just be, uh, you know, making stuff up. Nah, nah, you guys are both like pretty like on the on the head there. Like, because, you know, they keep like buying up and tearing down, tearing down and rebuilding like all the old interesting stuff in Norman and all the cheap housing and putting like expensive housing or putting some like it's either a, is it a bank, is it a fast food restaurant or a chain restaurant, or is it a weed store on every corner when something goes down? And, like, everyone who's not, like, you know, a upper middle-class white person or a rich white person is, I mean, you move to the city because, like, the city's normal or mostly normal and cool and not Oklahoma or not Norman. <laughs> it's Oklahoma City or... No, no, Tulsa, they're like the only places that are becoming worth living here. <laughs> no, yeah, I, I get that. Um, uh, we moved away from the subject. Yeah, we, we deviated pretty hard. Yeah, it's fine. I don't know. I don't know how much of that I'm going to keep in. Um, yeah, like, I think we deviated there. Yeah. What's. Uh, I'll push you yeah. into three. Yeah. Um, okay, because we're about to hit 30 minutes. Oh, God damn. This is going to be two hours at this rate. Um, all right. So now we're going to talk about the kinship index uh, and good old fashioned incest. Hell which, yeah. Uh, wow. <laughs> yeah. We'll, this is Oklahoma. We don't do that. That's more of an Alabama thing. <laughs> so. The comparisons made between countries with higher familiar scores is something. Uh, if I had a dollar for every time, you know, the author mentioned incest or cousin marriage, I would not be in debt for school. That is just something that is mentioned a lot in this book. Uh, and there's something to be said about keeping it in the family, so to speak. Uh, we have avoided this and, you know, made it taboo for a reason. Uh, polluting the gene pool and looking like a Habsburg is really not ideal uh you know there were studies done in the uh in, in in the book involving the kinship intensity index uh they found this that those scored that those who scored higher uh on that indeed were more apt to employ family members in higher roles like nepotism it's because you're doing it for the good of the family as opposed to oh i'm not related to this person all right sucks for you there's, you know, more studies that show that people who score higher on this list are somewhat less altruistic. Uh, for example, it talks about how those who scored higher, or those who were higher on uh, the KI index were less inclined to donate blood than uh, to strangers, uh, than, you know, voluntarily uh, than those who were lower. Uh, and by less inclined, I mean they practically gave nothing. 
uh, guess they gotta, you know, save that for their cousins. Uh, in the same vein, though, uh, in trials that involve money um, as a reward, countries would hire on the kinship index. Uh, they reported higher. Uh, okay, so let me let me back up. Um, during this study, they would give you a die and a computer, and you had to roll the die and input what you got in the computer. Uh, and then you would get the you would get a certain amount of money per what you rolled. Uh, those who did the study and were higher on the kinship index, uh, they would report higher rolls, uh, and that would increase the amount of money that they received, which makes you know a whole lot of sense when they have a stronger drive to support their families. Whereas the lower store, whereas the lower scoring groups still had a high percentage of higher rolls, but not at the level of their counterparts. Uh, which I mean makes sense. Like you have to support your family, and if this is getting money, like all right, you know, I'm I'm getting that. Like it's you know very important. Uh, there were also studies that showed uh, that people with higher KI scores they're just more prone to behave like jerks when it came to traffic citations and having diplomatic immunity. Uh, as mentioned, you know, in previously in the book, they uh, they monitored the uh, like traffic areas around the United Nations headquarters in New York and places that scored higher on the KI index. Uh, those, those countries, um, they would like park in no parking spots, like double park and just, just be general, like, you know, jerks because they are more or less like, you know, I don't want to say selfish, but kind of selfish. You know, you may be asking yourself what was able to stop the incest train in its tracks. That's the church. That is that is their, you know, goal. So whenever you were doing this project, is there like, was it, were there any examples of like which countries scored really high on the index and which ones didn't? Or was it not like that broad and robust of a study or what? No, it was um, definitely more like, I don't want to say like, underdeveloped but definitely like not western countries it was definitely more of like a eastern type thing and not not necessarily like eastern like uh asia russia you know whatever it's just like less non-anglo yeah and like countries with less of a religious influence um because uh like they mentioned that um Places in Italy, like it, uh, the more like religious people, like they would still give blood too. Um, you know, it's not just like, oh, we're not like we're 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 godless people. We're just going to be more, you know, selfish. But okay, yeah. Now that I've got a little bit of a grasp on what you're on what you were talking about, that I mean, that does seem kind of uh, kind of interesting and. I'm not gonna say like like right just because you know I haven't done all the research that you're doing, um, but yeah, no, that's 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 pretty interesting because if you look at it from like a cultural standpoint, like even when you were saying like because religion is so much ingrained in Western society, like not just our culture but kind of everything, you know, the the good book tells us to give, but you know, in in you know, it's like especially like in China. Um, and in Japan, it's like, you know, they don't, they're, most of the people are secular. And in China, a lot of places you're not allowed to, um, to have the religious freedom to do like Western religions. 
And so they have to have, I mean, they would have to have a different set of morals. So, I mean, that, yeah, that kind of rings true by what you were saying. I think that was, I think yeah. that's interesting. No, like, definitely, like, uh, I mean, I went into this, like, blind as a bat. And, like, when I was reading this, I was just like, you know, I never thought about it this way. But that actually makes sense, like, with, like, the way it's presented. Like, it's definitely, like, this part of the book was absolutely fascinating. Because, I mean... I, I I really found it interesting. It, it definitely like painted the influence of the church in like a whole nother light, uh, so to speak, in in my opinion, at least. Yeah, I because I, I never really ever think of the church as doing something that's completely good. But you know, this one. I mean, but this one, you know, you know, I'll, okay, I'll give him the blue ribbon for this one. <laughs> I mean, a broken clock is right twice. <laughs> exactly. And, I mean, this is perfect into my next takeaway, uh, which is about the power and influence of the church. Uh, you know, we're all relatively from Oklahoma, or all of us here, excuse me, are relatively from Oklahoma. Uh, and, and being in the buckle of the Bible Belt gives a unique look into how accurate the control of the church is. Uh, you know, there are more non-denominational churches in Norman than Starbucks's, which is just insane when you think about it. Like, I, I have the numbers here. So in Norman, uh, there are 20 Baptist churches, three Lutheran, seven Catholic, eight Methodist, 19 non-denominational or just catch-all churches, nine synagogues, and a mosque. We're going to compare that to the numbers of, like, McDonald's, Sonic's, Whataburger, and gun stores. There's six McDonald's, seven Sonic's, one Whataburger, and ten gun stores. Like ten gun stores? Yeah, apparently. Or okay, I, not uh, just guns. Places know. where you get guns. Um, oh, places. Well, so, yeah, that's true because you can get them at Atwood or fucking Wal every Walmart, basically. No, two of the WalMarts. What exactly? I didn't know so, you could do that at Walmart. Yeah, they just don't sell rifles. They sell like um, they sell shotguns and like well, they sell tiny hunting rifles. I think nothing. Good. Oh, yeah, man. My fam back in Cali thinks that this is wild that you can just kind of buy a gun wherever you want. Uh, see, every time I hear about California and like what you can do with guns, I get like worried and like <laughs> frightened because all you guys, all I think is imagine just like some guy with a Confederate flag hiding in his basement with twenty guns, and it's like I can't even go get one. Mm -mm. Yeah, I mean, it's like, but you see, you don't see a lot of that. It's so few and far between. Like, I took my husband and some friends to visit. I think we saw one Confederate thing one time in the middle of Frisco. And it was like, okay, that's unusual. You were in the Bay, though. Like, you didn't go. I met you Sacramento or like. Oh, yeah. No, we we went all the way. We went we went, we went down a little south. I mean, it's not like I'm going to take them to Redding. Like, I'm not trying to get lynched. <laughs> like, I'm not, I'm not saying that it doesn't happen. And there aren't, you know, secret sundown towns. The more north or more south you get from the Bay. But, like, just it's just 
there are so many people there. We're not there. It's like it's not like that. I think it has to do with the population thing too here. Like there aren't enough people, so of course you can kind of just do stuff, but it's less complicated to get your hands on whatever you want because not everybody's looking. But you know, in the bay, everybody's awake all the time, all day. There's somebody around going to see you. Like <laughs> it, it, so it's like just the fear of guns is is a little different. Or, or to want to have a gun or to attempt to get a gun is more or less you either do all that ridiculous paperwork or you just don't have one. Fair enough. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the lack of incest and cousin marriage by the church can also be looked at, you know, through the lens of expanding one's prospects that are outside the family uh, because a bigger social network uh, through the church. Um, you know, I have a buddy, he... He joined a church just to get out of the house and meet new people. It's kind of, you know, exactly that. Uh, there's there's more, you know, genetically diverse people uh, in, in the church than in one's family unit. Uh, I can see exactly why people would go out and join, you know, for a sense of community rather than for the religious experience. You know, when it's all in your town, you know, uh, when that's all there is in your town to see and meet new people, like, of course you're going to do it. You have no choice. And it's like, especially growing up in Oklahoma, like Jesus is everywhere. Like everything you do, like even if you're not religious, like if you're in Boy Scouts, oh, you're meeting at the church. Oh, you play pickup basketball games in the church rec room. You know, like it just shows like how much influence they have. Like churches sponsor everything in Norman pretty much. Like, you can't like go anywhere without seeing that and like you have new ones popping up everywhere like let's see we have what like 30 47 56 we have 58 religious institutions in norman like that is just insane like it's a town of what like ninety thousand on a good day like 120 120 okay is that including students so it fluctuates between about 115 to 140 depending on the school year the how many people are there for the, that semester um how many of you know whether they chose to live there or not but yeah it's something around i i like saying it's 120 something most likely yeah and like just there's so much religion and it's just like everywhere like you can't have or like uh this is a niche comment but like look at david stanley chevrolet like <laughs> their commercials are so damn like religiously oriented like it's just like you literally have god to sell a truck because uh, you know that makes you more religious apparently well you know the evangelicals i mean they have they've tied religion into prosperity and so that makes perfect sense though yeah, yeah. well it's like i i remember working at the cracker barrel uh on i-35 and it's like you would get the religious crowd coming in for lunch and they would tip you with the fake jesus money oh and it's like, guys, the chicklets I, or whatever they're called yeah. Gosh, not or the chicklets are terrible too. Those little pamphlets are getting. They'll give you these big dumb coins which look like a dollar, or they'll give you the stupid thing that looks like a fiver, but it ends up saying like 
the kingdom of God, blah, blah, oh, blah. Really? Actually, I have a question. Um, how many? Did you say that Baptist churches were the biggest amount, were the largest amount of churches there? I did, yeah. There are. How many of those are Korean? One. I think only one. Yeah, really? like one. Yeah, one we two. have one. We have one out on Robinson. Um, where's the data? Where Where does it go? Map, 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 map. Okay, that's interesting because, like, up here in Tulsa, I think we've got like five plus Korean Baptist churches. Yeah. Okay. Because most of the churches up here are Baptist as well, Baptist and Protestant up here. Mm -hmm. And and uh, they like in uh what the real I forget which sect the our our largest community churches, but yeah, they control like the better half of the southeast and east um portion. Yeah, they're Methodist church. Excuse me. Um. They yeah like no they sponsor pretty much everything every school every scout troop every every car wash yeah no I thought that was weird but then the second after that is Korean Baptist churches and I was wondering if that was a thing down there too since there's so many Baptist churches so so we have one Korean Baptist church and Norman then we have one it seems to be a non denomination denominational Protestant Chinese church over um, by the old part of town in the hospital the old hospital. Mm -hmm. And Is that old Vietnamese slash Lao church still out there in between Little Axe and Noble, I think? No, I don't think it is. Yeah, because I think they were Baptist too. Yeah, I, they've probably been folded in or maybe they all converted away. Because I know, like, the city, since the city has so many Vietnamese folks, like, they're, like, they're all Catholic, though. And so they don't have the, like, Baptist thing. All There's, like, one of the churches in the city is specifically a Vietnamese Catholic, like, church. Okay, because I was wondering, because in contrast, because since we're talking about how much, you know, the church is ingrained in our society and how much they do for the community, I, I was just wondering because, uh, at least for my Korean, Korean friends, they seem to only interact with the Korean community. I mean, go figure. But I was wondering if they, you know, they don't, they just don't do the same kind of charity work I mean, I'm not saying that's like bad or anything because I'm not a religious person. Just like in con in contrast, like since it was brought up, I was wondering um, just well, about it. I don't know. I also feel like a lot of people in Oklahoma are like just religious to say they are. Like there's a lot of people there who don't act very Christian-like. Um, yeah. We have a lot like, of life churches, if that's what you mean. Like the, yeah. the the Christians for the lack of label. Exactly. And it's like going back to like them like being everything, like my voting location in Oklahoma, whenever I was registered there, was like one of the Lutheran churches. It's like they're everywhere pretty much. Like like isn't where's where's your voting location, Whiskey? Uh, yeah, my, mine's, a, mine's a church. I'm trying to find it so I can figure out what kind it is. I think it's Methodist, or is it Lutheran? No, it's they're Nazarenes. Yeah, I voted at Nazarene. And before, on the other side of town, I voted at, I think that was a First Assembly of God when we lived at the big house. And mm -hmm. before that, I voted at a cat, the old Catholic church in the middle of town. Yeah, on Porter. Yeah, always a church, though. Yep. Yeah, and it just shows, like, how much sway they have in the community. It's like, 
that's like all there is to do it seems like in norman it's like you if you go anywhere on sunday like you best go before churches get out otherwise you're going to be stuck in traffic <laughs> nightmare now we're going to be moving on to some canvas readings we're going to be talking about everyone's favorite libertarian deity ayn rand ayn rand sucks she is incredibly overrated and has bred a whole lot of radicalized nerds her work amplifies selfish views that in no way better society. The role of government is to help its people. There's a reason why privatization has not spread to the major sectors of government. Without Social Security, people would be working until they died. How is that okay in the land of the free? Oh, child labor laws? Screw that. Who needs a living wage when you can just be paid the bare minimum that a company wants to give you? There are some good points, though, that she makes about individualism, I will agree. Not using force until it is used against you is something I can personally agree with. But that the opinion that man is supposed to be selfish and try not to better the lives of those around them is just something I cannot agree with. We are a species that has helped each other through all sorts of trying times. For example, you know, growing up in Oklahoma, devastated by tornadoes. After tornadoes destroy everything, you know, you have neighbors showing up almost immediately after the storm has passed. Like, they have to turn people away because there are too many people to help. Uh, this is just not something that would happen in Ayn Rand's world. Uh, you know, people should pull themselves up by their own bootstraps. As someone who is, you know, not as jaded, jaded or cynical as they need to be, I choose to believe that man is inherently going to choose to help those who need it. Yeah, we are selfish as a means to survive. Hoarding food supplies and such is a selfish act in a pandemic, but giving those supplies you bought to less fortunate people is something that, you know, others have done. Much like our upbringing reflects on how we view the world, the same could be said for Ayn. She grew up in post-World War I Russia, and that along with living in a monarchy is going to shape how she saw the world and lead to her ideas on the way humans act. If she grew up in a world where the Russian Revolution was happening and her family lost their business, you know, of course, you know, that is going to drastically change how one views themselves and their place in the world. How are you, how are you supposed to react when your family loses everything and you end up being taken out of university? That's, you know, everyone's upbringing is different. Like, that's how this works. Uh, if I may quote John Galt, uh, the man at the top of the intellectual pyramid contributes the most than all those below him, but gets nothing except his material payment, receiving no intellectual bonus from others to add to value of his time. The man at the bottom, who left to himself, would starve in his hopelessness, and his ineptitude contributes nothing to that above him, but receives all the bonus of their brains. I, I do not like that. That is just trickle-down intellectualism. It's almost like relying on one person, you know, to solve all the issues in the world. That's authoritarianism. We fought war, a war against that. Uh, and I am inclined to agree with psychologist Nathaniel Brandon, who sums up, you know, my main issue with Rand. Brandon writes, uh, and I am not saying that we do not have the right to place our own interests first. I am saying that the principle of benevolence and mutual aid is entirely compatible with the ethic of self-interest and more. An ethic of self-interest logically must advocate the principle of benevolence and mutual aid. Given that we live in a society and given that misfortune or tragedy can strike any one of us, 
It is clearly in our self-interest to live in a world in which human beings deal with one another in a spirit of mutual benevolence and hopefulness. Could anyone seriously argue that the principle of mutual aid, you know, does not have survival value? The world has enough selfish people in it. Uh, we do not need more acolytes of Ayn. Maybe this is my bias showing, but I believe that people are good and then choose be to become self-serving and calloused. I, I, I agree with you. I, I've never personally read Ayn Rand, but uh, all of my friends who have encountered someone who has or has personally read it tell me it's not, it's not for me. It's not a good read to pick up. Um, I mean, especially in this very turbulent day and age of cultural identity, um, et cetera, et cetera. It just doesn't seem like it's the it's the time and place to be thinking about the type of thoughts that 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 she writes about. I agree with your bias. I mean, I know this is supposed to be an an academic thing for you. You know, we're not supposed to tr show our bias too much in in academic pursuits. But you know, there, there's a time and place for that type of waiting around and being neutral about it. I don't think this is one of those. I, I agree with your bias and I think that you should you should you should have it. Yeah, and like I I just as mentioned, I, I'm not jaded and cynical enough to believe that, you know, we are awful people. Yeah, like, yeah, we have shown, you know, examples of that, but you know, as I mentioned, like after tornadoes just absolutely destroyed places like you have so many people donating their time, food and supplies like that that wouldn't happen in Ayn Rand's world. Like it's just like, oh well, the fire department's privatized. Sucks for you. Guess you're not going to get that fire put out. Yeah, I mean, I will say, but to, to play a little bit of devil's advocate, it's kind of. I mean, that kind of does happen for some people, you know. I mean, there are a lot of other places and other states. I mean, because I mean, you think about tornado season, everybody automatically thinks about Oklahoma. There are like three other states in Tornado Alley that get hit bad as bad as us, like. They're not getting any news press. We don't even know if they're as helpful as we are here in Oklahoma. I mean, like, that is kind of like that world. Like, are they getting that same type of help? Are people really that selfish? Um, do we even know? that? I mean, that's, that's the kind of stuff that I worry about because of no, our yeah. thoughts. That is a good point. I mean, I choose to believe that, like, people come together. I mean, look at, like... The fires in California, like there was so much, you know, money and stuff being donated that like, I feel like that wouldn't happen if, you know, this is Ayn Rand's utopia, you know, it just, mm -hmm. it just yeah, I happen. mean, like, and if we're going to be real about it here in America, if we were to envision Ayn Rand's utopia, that very much involves an ethnic cleansing. I think, yeah. I mean, I, I think that whether or not that part is intentional, I think it's it's a, it's a subconscious kind of thought that comes from her teachings that, you know, in order for things to be the way they are, you can't have people who want who want to be different from you. You know, you, you can't, you, it's just kind of scary because when I, when I was growing, when I was growing up, my friends would tell me about the Ayn Rand stuff always equated to it to like Nazism and racism and stuff like that. So I don't know that that's what I've gotten from it. That may be wrong. If you'd like to correct me, because I'm not entirely sure since I've never really read it. 
I mean, like, I personally, like, just in I, I, full disclosure, I, I have chose not to read her work because I felt like it was just not up my alley. Um, I, I do, like, just in doing the reading and, like, watching, like, interviews with her, it, it does seem like it is, like, somewhat of a authoritarian thinking in that sense. It's just like, oh, well, you know, only, like, the smart people can fix this, like, you as poor people, like, you bring nothing to society. Like, therefore, like, we shouldn't care about you. Like, you obviously didn't work hard enough. Yeah. To and that's provide. the point I'm trying to get to, like, about it. Like, I think that's why it's scary to hear that in America, because, you know, who we think are the least educated, most worthless, not smart part of the parts of our community. Or people of color. Exactly. And what does she want to do? What does she say should happen to people like that? Not good things. I think that it doesn't take race into account. I think she didn't take race into account there. I mean, based on where she was at, I don't really see how she could have. But that's, that's, that's what all of those reasons are why I'm really glad that you're very biased to her. Well, whenever she took race into account, though, she often took it into account of things like saying, like, how it was great that the natives lost all their land and had genocide committed against them because they obviously weren't using anything correctly. Okay, yeah, I didn't um, know that. They they were, you know, it's the same thing of, like, um, oh, Israel taking land from the Arabs. It's like, oh, they were fighting savages and taking their land. And um, to make you guys feel better about her, um, she died in poverty, um, and she died, or before she died, she had to be enrolled on welfare and social security, which mm, has always filled my little heart, my little black like <laughs> heart, with some like joy, knowing that ah oh, yes, at least Ayn Rand had to suck the teat of the state as well. Well, I learned something today, <laughs> and I mean, there's just ir- irony in that, like just so much irony because like libertarians and all that like they don't want any of that like sucks for you you should have worked harder and well guess what i you should have saved more money i mean shouldn't have gotten all that avocado toast and you know five dollar lattes exactly <laughs> you're lucky to get a five dollar latte in 2021 honestly i know God, you really are all right, so now we're going to talk about the prophet that is Alexei de Tocqueville. We're going to look at uh, individualism. Well, I guess we're going to look at technology, and then we're going to look at individualism, his takes on that. Uh, you know, while Alexei de Tocqueville did not speak exactly on the rise of technology, uh, he did see some value in it. Technology has changed our lives for the better and for the worse. Uh, There are cures for diseases that we have found via technology. You know, if the coronavirus were to have hit like a century earlier, what kind of damage would it have done? I mean, here, obviously, you know, we're not doing great. Uh, But, uh, you know, almost a year from the start, we're finally getting you know, multiple vaccines that have been distributed. Yeah, you know, hundreds of thousands have died in the meantime, but that can be uh, 
attributed to lack of compassion for others and American selfishness. Uh, you know, we obviously don't like wearing masks. Um, uh, we have studies that have shown that people have been more depressed and more isolated uh, due to like technology. Uh, we could like online dating and all that, like the aspect of swipe culture. Someone could be your soulmate, yada yada. You won't know because there's always just the idea of someone else out there. Uh, technology, you know, is also has made our attention span shorter. Uh, we're more anxious, uh, and I think the worst part is that we just base all of our perception of our own realities on you know what we see online. Uh, we compare ourselves to what our friends are doing. Nobody points out their failures outside of posts. You know, no one no one announces deaths in the family. I guess is what I'm trying to say. Um, he also had some thoughts on individualism that I think are really poignant. Uh, it's, you know, a good thing and a curse upon Americans. We're always the first to tell someone to pull themselves up by their bootstraps, but never lend a hand. And I'm going to quote from his chapter on individualism. Selfishness blights the germ of all virtue. Individualism, at first, only saps the virtues of public life. But in the long run, it attacks and destroys all others and is at length absorbed in downright selfishness. Selfishness is a vice as old as the world, which does not belong to one form of society more than to another. Individualism is of democratic origin, and it threatens to spread in the same ratio as the equality of condition. Uh, individualism is what makes America great. Uh, we are a nation of selfish people. We have this view that we're the best country on the planet, yet we do such awful things. Uh, we have this self-centered view of the world, you know, not seen since, like, the Roman Empire. And I feel like, you know... Tocqueville was right like even then he could see that you know individualism was going to become an issue in the future yeah and I just uh, I really think that you know Tocqueville just as, as I mentioned he saw that this could become an issue and you know look at us now like we are a nation of really individualistic self-centered people it's it's almost like a detriment I mean just looking at the pandemic of itself like we have politicized mask use to where it's become like a status symbol so to speak and like just there's pride in just being obstinate and not wearing one it's definitely uh one of the main reasons why we obviously can't uh get out of this damn pandemic you guys you guys got any thoughts here So, on a daily basis, whenever we leave the house, especially gas stations are the worst. And you see, like, I think we went to one the other day and saw six men come into the gas station in the four minute, four or so minute period we were in there with their just naked ass face hanging out. No big deal. And it's one of those things where, like, you can't do anything because the police. Um, who I don't particularly like very much, but I feel like this would have been an easy way for them to get tickets. They don't do anything. Um, the stores won't do anything because um, can't make customers mad. 
And me as a person, I'm not going to do anything because, oh, I want to. But the cost um, benefits <laughs> to discussing with these people how they need to wear something will not end well because the type of man who is going around with their faces bare, coughing in the public, is also the type of man who there may be a physical altercation. And I, I don't really want that because um, rednecks don't have pain receptors. <laughs> I'm going to go on the record so they're barely, they're barely people. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I, you know, actually, that's weird that you say that because I haven't had that. I, I, I haven't had that encounter yet. Like, I actually, since I work, since I'm restaurant industry, chef in it, um, at ramen, I get to tell people when or when not when they can or cannot come in into the restaurant. Like we we have we have three signs up on our door in Spanish and in English, and so if people decide to come in without one, we get to tell them to leave. And it's the same thing at our gas stations too. Like some of the gas station attendants I see don't like wear them all all the way. Like the like people who put their just put it under their nose. Just just take it off then and just and write I'm an idiot on my face. I mean on their on your face because like if you're putting the mask on over your mouth but over your nose you're not you you're you're just you're not doing yourself any any justice. And so I see that sometimes but like a lot of times I tell I see people telling other people to go go away or go get a mask or like if I have someone who comes in that doesn't have a mask but wants to eat there I actually am able to give them one. And like I don't know I just haven't I've had people who have been a little they they do the the deal. Oh well, if I'm in the restaurant, you know, what I'm taking, I was like, no, I can just shut that. I can just shut it down. I'm like, okay, well, you can either put it on or you can leave. Uh, I yeah. and I haven't had very many people up here. I mean, my husband has, <laughs> but he works in the public school system, so yeah, that that I think that's a different kind of thing going on there. But I haven't personally had to do that yet. And it, I feel like it varies on obviously like where you are. Like here in Denver, like we've been under a mask mandate since last year, you know, early last year to where it's like, well, you're not wearing one. Like, well, you don't get to do anything. That sucks for you. Yeah. Nor like been in one, but like they just don't enforce anything. And <laughs> yeah, we've never had nope. one in Tulsa. It's sort of like a we all actually everybody up here got really mad that we didn't get one when Norman and OKC got one, and so it was just kind of word of mouth tell everybody to wear a mask. Like I've seen people come like walk out of their car from their uh, at the gas station, see someone coming out of the store with with a mask on, turn around and go and get their mask, and then go back inside. Like, I, I don't know. <laughs> it's, yeah. so, it's so weird. Well, it's like, I feel like, to bring it back to, like, individualism, it's just so ingrained in our society to where it's like, oh, you need to do everything yourself. Like, people, you're not supposed to rely on handouts for anything. And, like, if you see someone who's down on their luck, like... Maybe maybe this does contradict myself a little bit earlier, but like, I mean, I feel like you know, as a society, like we are just taught to, you know, not like kind of look down on others because they aren't taking care of themselves, um, you know, in, in like the right way that society is, you know, has ordained it to be. Yeah, I think you're right about that. 
I think it especially is a thing when it comes to like poverty <laughs> in the United States. Because I know that when oh. I was younger, I used to be like, why do why are all my friends not having this or not having that? I have it, but it's called poverty finance. Like it's impossible to save. You know, when you don't have, when you're when you're spending all your money to just live, what are you saving? And I didn't understand that for a little bit until until I had to be in that situation, unfortunately. And you're right, we we get taught to look the other way about it until it happens to you. Definitely, definitely. Now we're going to talk about how countries view Americans. Uh, the view of America outside the United States is just terrible. Uh, according to the Pew Research Center, as of September of 2020, the highest favorability rating uh, was at 41%. This is a tie between the United Kingdom and Japan. Uh, the rest of our main allies, uh, which is who we're polled, uh, was much less favorable. Uh, this this poll was a combination of the handling of the pandemic and Donald Trump, as you know, as well. Uh, granted, the two go somewhat hand in hand. Uh, I want to talk in, about the article in the Atlantic by Bernard uh, Henri Levy. Uh, he follows in the footsteps of Monsieur Tocqueville a uh, hundred years later, and what struck me was his piece written about the Amish. We consider them Americans. They don't. Uh, they view us as something you know, else. Uh, the English or something similar. Uh, this quote struck me. Uh, For the Amish, the United States is not a country, but an abstraction, a fiction. Who are the Amish then? Uh, who are these men and women who live in economic uh, autarky? Their gaze fixed on eternity. A counter-society, an anti-America within America? Uh, the journey he took gave a very interesting account on how the world views us. We are proud, stubborn, oftentimes dumb people. We have a reverence for a flag that we wrap ourselves in, yet exploit it for the sake of capitalism. There is money to be made on American exceptionalism. Uh, and now I want to talk about Rick Steves. Uh, he has the right idea. <laughs> Traveling is a political act. Doing it is one of the best ways, outside of psychedelics, of course, to expand your mind. Uh, seeing the difference in cultures uh, is nothing but a good thing. I am reminded of his reasonings to go to Iran, and I quote, uh, he says, so I can see the people that we are going to bomb. Uh, there is a huge idea that we dehumanize so many countries and their people we do this to make it easier to send troops over. Uh, there's nothing better than seeing the world. It gives you an appreciation for things and gives you that much-needed introspection. Having been someone who has traveled when they were younger, I have experienced anti-American sentiments. Uh, we were in England. Um, this is where my mom lives. Uh, and at this grocery store, and this guy in front of us was just so mad that there were Americans in this grocery store because, you know, God forbid we got to eat too. It's not all Big Macs and, you know, Pizza Hut. Uh, and just me and my brother, we were nine and ten years old, and it's just, you know, something you brush off. But, you know, looking back on it, it's just like, man, that guy could have uh, really, you know, messed us up. America is a mirror of her people. 
uh, we have done some horrible things as a nation. Slavery, the Indian Removal Act, the Chinese Exclusion Act, the Tulsa Race Massacre. And I'm sure there are plenty of people who have done awful things in their personal lives. I mean, I for one have done many things that I regret when I was younger. Yet we as a nation paint ourselves as this bastion of hope, that shining city on the hill. We do not like to think about the atrocities we have done. We whitewash them and, you know, under the guise of perfection. And that's just feel like other countries see that and just kind of see us as hypocrites uh you know like we we have definitely alienated uh at least under the previous administration a lot of our allies uh, and that that shows i mean like no one wants to really you know do business with a country that can change their mind you know every four years and just like look at leaving the paris climate accord like Everyone was so gung-ho about that, and then first day, like, Trump pulled out pretty much, and it's just like, how are we – how are our allies supposed to have faith in us and America doing the right thing when all that can happen? And there's just no stability uh, in that system. We're really easy to scrutinize, and we definitely probably should be by other countries because we've done some things, and they're bad. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. That, that's pretty. Yeah. Like I know earlier, um, when we were talking about some other stuff, I I said that you know my family back in Vietnam doesn't view us as dumb, stupid people. But when you put it under the context of you know our allies, you know on a global scale, people who need us to be around. You're right. People do hate us. Like I, I haven't. I've never left the country at all. But I've been lucky enough to have parents who are worldly and like to bring their friends around. And, yeah, they talk about that stuff. They, and my family's very multicultural, too. And they talk about how much my – they don't like coming here. They don't like that my family lives here or, like, this place is garbage. <laughs> like, they, they think, they think like, America's like the hood <laughs> of the whole world. It's embarrassing. Yeah. Well, and it's like, as of late, I mean – when we could travel, it's like a lot of people would just claim to be Canadian because, like, I don't want to be associated with America. Like, even during the Bush administration, it's just like, you know, you'd be ridiculed and, like, you would be looked at differently because, like, we are. An... Yeah, for you, white Americans, it's definitely, that's a struggle that I don't, I would never understand. Oh, man, let me tell you how bad it is to be a white guy in America. <laughs> <laughs> you would not believe how awful it is. Yeah, dude, because I, I mean, I only ever hear the opposite about from my, my friends of color who travel outside of the country, especially my friends of color who go to Asian countries. They they don't deal with the things that you say that you have to deal with when they leave the country about being American. You know, people are happy they're there, you know. Black is cool. I mean, that's a whole other can of worms. But, you know, my dad was like, I wish we could be in Japan because, like, he's free there. Like he was born, he was born at the tail end of of segregation, and he and he lives in the same place where it happened. And he would much rather live somewhere where people accept, where at least they're willing to ignore him, <laughs> not scrutinize him. Yeah. And, and like, I I just find it so weird that that my white friends who leave the country, you know, they they have to talk about America when foreigners talk to them, but when my 
my black friends leave the country. America's the last thing they have to talk about. And I, I, I don't know. I always thought that was kind of weird, but either way you look at it, uh, as Americans as a whole, we're not doing so hot on the global scale. Yeah, and I mean, and like, look at how we are portrayed in like some forms of media, and it's just like America is just like this lazy, fat, just awful embodiment like people take the piss of out of america like all the time like we are the butt of a lot of jokes it seems which well, i mean for damn good reason yeah but they're also like so this is something i've always hated about um this argument like what we're talking about right now like i feel like europeans are very lazy in the regard of instead of looking at their own strange issues and dealing with them they'd rather go oh, let's complain about the big asshole who lives in the neighborhood. And we're the big yeah. asshole. They like, don't want to... Yeah, like, no, you're right. Cause, like, isn't, like, Poland going through, like, a big abortion protest right now? The whole yeah. country banned abortion. And the Europe, and they're part of the union, aren't they? And the EU yeah. has the nerve to complain about what we're doing over here? Like, are you oh. kidding me? The the Germans just the Germans just on their own. We've already discussed like the race problems in France, but Ooh. the Germans have the same thing, and they're bad. Yes. And I'm not gonna go out and say that they still have um, people boot stomping around in Bavaria and parts of Germany, but I'm also not gonna say that if zombie Hitler didn't come back, that some of them wouldn't be pretty damn happy about it. Yeah, there's a comedy about that, actually. I'll talk about it with you later. But I agree with you, man, because yeah, that, that is a... Yeah, you're, you're right. Yeah. Oh, you're right. Yep, that's the one. Okay, that one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's like, yeah. yeah, my uh, my mother-in-law, she used to work and go to school in Estonia. And a lot of her... And a lot of her classmates and, and workmates were foreigners. And the only people who got scrutinized against were her Chinese friend and her African friend. Not like they like don't like all of Estonia was just like yeah no we hate y'all specifically and they also don't they're also against queer rights there and they're a secular country like my husband went there and he's like yeah I like he was he was gone for like two weeks three weeks or something like that and he was like it was really nice but we can't go there together because they don't like the way you look and they don't like the way we're together and but you know America's so terrible. Yeah, we just we just let people die in the streets and um, don't have healthcare. <laughs> sure, healthcare is basically a myth here, but you know, the fact that you know I can get married here and you know live my life more or less, I'm yeah. not worried about being aggressed against because of the color of my skin. I, I'm pretty happy about that. Yeah, I mean, there's so good in the bad with every country. It seems like people idolize Canada, but like. They would do, um, like, stuff as, like, driving indigenous people out in the middle, like, find drunk indigenous people and just leave them for dead, make them walk back, like, mm -hmm. you know, so yeah, we have our own issues, but I think people need to, uh, you know, look at themselves first before they, uh, you know, point fingers, but Michael that's Jackson here. Song about this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Everybody loves Jackson. We should all, you know, be the man in the mirror. <laughs> Which, again, brings back my point that, uh, you know, we are a mirror for our society. Like, we've all done horrible things, and so has our country. Like, 
America has been played as the aggressor, you know, for a reason as of late. I mean, we've been in a forever war mm-hmm. you know, yeah. for the majority of our lives. Like what? I was in sixth grade when 9-11 happened, like something yeah. like that. Like I was I was still in elementary school. I think I was like in second or third grade when it happened. That we were in class. Yeah. That has changed, I feel like, our look, you know, our our view in the eyes of other countries. Like, it's definitely, you know. I I think a good example of it is our media. Like, have you ever watched a rom-com pre-Iraq war versus a rom-com post-Bush? And to look get a good example of it, if you like, look at those rom coms from those time eras, and look for any scene that happens near or in an airport, and that is the difference. Yeah, airports used to be so fun, and now they're awful. Now, yeah, now it's a nightmare. <laughs> Don't you guys remember yeah. being able to go to Will Rogers and watch a plane take off? Oh yeah, we went all the time. My dad traveled yeah. all the time, and it was like, oh, we're gonna go pick him up, and then you off one day. You couldn't go pick them up. You had to go wait in the lobby area instead of being right there at the door. Like, mm-mm. Oh, little zoomies don't even know what that's like. Exactly. And this is getting further in the weeds, but uh, Adam Todd Brown um, of Unpopular Opinion, he makes this point that, like, with every, you know, major, uh, like, catastrophe for lack of a better word that happens in american society we give up some of our rights like look at 9-11 like that's why we have the tsa like now you know because of the coronavirus we have tracking apps on our phone that track you know and exchange tokens with other people and if they become infected well guess who's getting a uh, you know notification like oh, i didn't know that was the thing that makes you uncomfortable yeah, yeah i mean i have it on my phone but then again i also don't really care because like google already knows exactly where i am no matter what like <laughs> every time you say if, hey if, google. like the feds can track you with your wi-fi like that's how they got a bunch of people at the capitol like all right so now i want to talk about our culture and the idea of like hero worship of the military uh but you know our, uh, our culture revolves around hero worship of the military, but we don't do anything afterwards to help those who have served. Uh, we have grand displays of our military might over major sports games. Uh, hell, even during the early stages of the pandemic, we had military jets doing flybys to help raise morale of healthcare workers. Uh, which, you know, <laughs> instead of giving them funding, we just, you know, planes go burr. Uh, there are many issues that can be raised by doing this. Uh, why do we, you know, worship the killing of those overseas? Uh, how do we reconcile the belief that we are a nation that only goes to war if we are attacked? Uh, and I want to bring up the two songs uh, by Propagandi. Uh, they are Failed Imagineer and Dear Coach's Corner. And I feel like they bring up several questions, you know. Why don't we help, you know, those who come back from war who are broken? Uh, and why do we not question the strangeness of the forced displays of power and military might? Uh, these are things that I've thought about because of this band. Uh, you know, why do we wrap ourselves in the flag of a nation that's willing to send its sons and daughters off to die but does nothing to help them with the traumas they receive? 
Uh, the lyrics in these songs bring up issues that society does not like to talk about. Uh, using flags and military might is akin to the Soviet-style parades, showing off the strength of a nation. Uh, as pointed out in the song Dear Coach's Corner, which, uh, to set the stage, this is uh, written to the point of view of him explaining these big and complicated ideals to uh, his niece, because she was very just inquisitive and wondering why the hell there were soldiers jumping down from the rafters. Uh, and I'm going to quote from the song. Uh, when I say she's puzzled by the incessant pressure for her to not defy the collective will and yellow ribbon lapels uh, as the soldiers inexplicably repel down the arena rafters, which, if not so insane, would be grounds for screaming laughter. And I feel like that just paints the point that, like, why are we doing this? This is weird. Like, this is just so insane that, you know, why shouldn't you laugh if it wasn't, you know, so strange? Next, I want to mention, you know, the song Failed Imagineer. Uh, it, it, it focuses on the horrors of war uh, and just the guilt and remorse, uh, alluding to the fact that it's handled different, differently uh, between people. Uh, and I'll quote from it. Um, Back when the war did your great-grandfather hand wrote letters of apology to all of those families of the men who crewed that U-boat. Haunted till his death by that long night on the coast. Uh, and then it compares um, to another, and it says, uh, Your other great-granddad came back from Anam, transformed into a damaged and violent man, never spoke of the slaughter he witnessed firsthand. Uh, and this passage shows the difference in how we handle grief and trauma. Uh, there you know, is one side that writes letters of apology, stating that they have remorse for the actions they did, then there is the other side that just bottles everything up. Uh, that is not to say that you know, don't have remorse. They just don't have a means of finding a way to deal with it. Uh, you know, this can have damage to the family, like four generations. Like, say something were to happen, and you know, he killed himself or what have you. Like, well, guess who's not growing up with a father or a grandfather? You know, if they already have kids, like, it's. Uh, it's something that, you know, can really have just lasting consequences. And then um, I also want to uh, take a look at uh, the series Mobile Suit Gundam because it does deal with consequences of war and life does, you know, art is limited in life. Like, this is a way to deal with, you know, these certain aspects. And it is Japanese, and I feel like. Uh, there could be some, you know, remnants of World War II uh, in there somehow with some of the themes that they, you know, look at. Um, a big point of the show is just there's this just conscientious objector that is just thrown in the middle of a war and he has to deal with it. Uh, you know, many of the characters, they're forced to make decisions that, you know, change the lives of themselves as well as those around them. Uh, they're just pawns in this global game of chess the powers that be are the ones moving the hands or moving the pieces excuse me uh you know we got one character who's fighting to avenge his family and he's the deposed ruler's kid uh 
we have another character who is the son of a defense contractor, and he's just thrown into the war because he's the only one who can deal with the, you know, the robot. Uh, there are many times where he refuses to be a part of the war. He gets dragged in uh, against his will, just learns how to cope. And you have other people who just lose their families and just the at ripples from that go on to change them. Uh, look at Saji Crossroad and Louise, for example. Her parents are killed um by a Gundam and she then joins the opposing side and just that's just a huge arc in the show and um I bring this up because as a you know a way to show that art mirrors life uh you know if this were a real world we would be shocked at all this but we're just so numb to the idea of killing uh and you know it's portrayed in our media it's just like look at a lot of the media now, it's just like they are, you know, there's there's dramas where it's just like, oh, this is the last fire team in, you know, whatever country. Look at all the horrors that they have to deal with. And I feel like we as a society have, like, used that as, like, I mean, you see support our troops, you know, bumper stickers everywhere. Yet, you know, we as a nation, we don't fund anything for our veterans. Like, they come home and can't find work well guess you're living on the street it's you know something that we take pride on our society of like oh you know we're the best but yet we do nothing to show our support uh for you know those who have done anything and it's like oh well you signed up for the military to pay for school well good luck afterwards bud like now you have ptsd and can't leave the house like it's just you know not fair. Yeah, you're absolutely right about that. I mean, it it's it's really bad when you send a whole bunch of young men and women to out to a place to fight somebody and they don't know why, and then you're and then you come back, and when they come back broken, you're upset that they are. Like I I think that's ridiculous. It's like we're like, hey, go kill those people. How dare you be remorseful about it? You know, how how dare you be, how dare you come back broken like you're supposed to, like we, we turn them into heroes, like, you know, we turn them into myths and superheroes and stuff when we send them over there and, you know, suddenly we're reminded that there's a person behind the gun and we just throw them away and you're, you're absolutely right about that. It's the one thing that really does suck about living here. Yeah. And it's like, uh, this also is, you know, about like our culture. It's just become so ingrained in it that like, I remember like back in middle school, it's like, I finally like realized it's like, oh, I don't have to like stand for the Pledge of Allegiance. And it's just like people freaked out. They're like, how dare you? You know, that's like un-American. You're not being patriotic. How dare you? I think it's if just... we put a warning label on joining the military, we would be a, more, a lot more empathetic towards the veterans. I think, like, since you brought up Gundam, um, one of the things that it does a good job of, which I think, again, speaks to art mirror, mirroring real life, um, is that the, the 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 show shows the the consequences the, almost immediately of war. You know, we don't hear about that in America. You don't. I mean, think about it when we're learning about the Iraq War as it was happening in the classroom. They didn't tell us what was happening to. Our brothers and sisters are cousins because we're that old now. Brothers, sisters, cousins, young uncles and aunts that went over there 
and were, you know, fighting for justice or whatever. We would learn about it every day in in our classrooms. We don't even know what was really happening to them. Like if we show if we showed the consequences of what they did, maybe maybe we would care more. Yeah, and it's like you have we have movies now about like 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 fiction and like look at um American Sniper and like The Hurt Locker oh and like gosh. Jarhead yeah. like <laughs> just we have these movies that have become like you know to some relative degrees of success some more than others uh and it's just like that has become like part of our culture now that it's just like oh we're so desensitized to like the idea of killing another person that we are okay with sending more people over. Well, you know, they, that's one of the things that they learned from Vietnam is that if you show it, um, like in actuality and unfiltered people stop doing it or people get real mad. They get real mad when they see, when they see the Vietnam images, like unfiltered on the nightly news. So we don't get that on the news anymore. And we get these like bourgeoisie fairy tales that are sold to um, the middle class and more importantly, the working class and poor. So you can get the working class, the poor and the lumpentarian to join your ridiculous crusades. So um, Papa Halliburton can make a few more million dollars or something akin to that. Yeah, And it's like, we don't even use like proper terminology. Like, they use the term like insurgent and like it's just it's like coded language almost to yeah, like to dehumanize them exactly it's purposefully to dehumanize and it just like to bring it back to uh mr 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 steves it's just like he made a point of like going to iran to meet the people because he's all like they're people too they're not just some nameless you know broad brushstroke of a society like these are real people like why shouldn't i go over there and meet the people that my country wants to bomb like it's just we're so desensitized to it now all right so this has been a very weird episode of you know what the hell uh i've been bravo and i've been joined by mr whiskey and mr toasty and uh yeah, this has been uh, Bravo Does Homework, and um, yeah, there may not, may or may not be more of this in the future. Anyway, uh, that is all we got for you guys this week. Uh, you know where to find us. Uh, I'm not going to plug all that. I've been talking for an hour and a half. All right. Bye, folks. Later, folks. Later.